0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Go in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. In sermon preparation and trusting that God leads and guides, um, last Sunday the sermon ended with a most fitting scripture, which is 1 Corinthians 15.58. And so with the events that transpired this week, what should we do this Sunday? Well, let me read my introduction that was set long before the events unfolded And the question that I was asking to all of us, and I've asked myself, is who has provided great leadership in your life? Have you expressed thankfulness to God and to that person for their influence? Now the picture will come on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15 58, loved ones, was our last text read from this pulpit last Sunday. And Richard Dixon was there, and Marlene chimed in. We're here watching online. The link worked. And from last Sunday to this Sunday, his scenery has changed immensely. He's in the presence of the Lord. That was Thursday evening, his home going. What a faithful man. Am I thankful to God for this man? Yes. Friday, the next picture. That picture is right here, 2011, Father's Day. This is Ginger's pastor, his home going. I wonder if those guys have already found each other, and how that works. When I'm driving home from Lapier, I'm saying, "What does it look like in heaven right now?" What does it look like? What is that reunion like?" These are two men of many in my life who finished well. Faithful. Perfect? No. Absolutely not. But faithful? Humble, yes. Encouragers, and the reason I put these two pictures is because of the, the title of the sermon, Move Forward. Move Forward. One of the last conversations I had with Preacher Brown, he was giving me ideas and listening to how are we gonna move forward in a building program. He was giving me ideas of what might happen in this building right here so that we could relocate Richard couldn't wait to get his shovel in down there. The parking lot fought us a little bit that day. Loved ones, what we see in Nehemiah is a man who moves forward. Leadership is essential. And when we recognize godly leadership, bold leadership, fearless leadership, what should we then do? Here's a hint. We don't stand back and admire leadership. Isn't that amazing? They're a wonderful leader. Follow the leader. What Jesus would say, you find the pearl of great price, sell everything else and buy that field. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about prioritizing our lives, that everything else is lesser, is not valuable, except for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what gives us perspective for everything else that we have and enjoy in life. If we miss that, we miss everything. So I want to know then what happened to the people and what happened to Nehemiah. This is a little bit of a cliffhanger, and uh, spoiler alert, you're going to get a cliffhanger again this week. Hudson Taylor's quote we saw last week, when God's people attempt to do, uh, when, when God's work is done God's way, God always supplies. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful, uh, ap- God, it never lacks God's supply. Well, let me give you a John MacArthur quote to uh, back that up or to counter that. When God's people attempt to do God's work, God's way, there will be opposition. Sometimes the opposition is external. Sometimes the opposition is internal. There's conflict. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's outside of me, and so it goes for you. Romans 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have, what's the next word? Do you need hope today? Okay, so we look back across, now we're 2,500 years ago, and Nehemiah steps on the scene, and he's a leader. He is not a prophet, he's not a priest, and yet he has a vision for what God would do in and through his life, and he steps up humbly and is a man of prayer and a man of courage, and he leads, and how do the people respond when they hit? Conflict. Oh, may we learn, and may we apply all that God would teach us today. Nehemiah chapter four. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Here's Nehemiah. Hear, O God, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders." So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Don't miss that. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lower parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, note that, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped by his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials, And to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. This is a battle that just happened here. Today, we're going to unpack this. This truth, the provident hand of God will uphold his people. The provident hand of God will uphold his people. He will uphold us, loved ones. And we're going to see four different aspects of God holding up Nehemiah, holding up the Jews. And it's true for all of his people. The provident hand of God, loved ones, will uphold us through our difficulty. Through our difficulty. The enemy in Nehemiah's day was fueled by envy, by jealousy, by hatred. And they were doing everything in their power to get Nehemiah and his band of misfits to quit. Their first approach wasn't very costly for them. It didn't put a lot of skin in the game. It was just a lot of talk. They wanted to bring discouragement. And you see this in the first three verses of Nehemiah 4. They come, and it worked before, by the way, in Ezra's day. They just bring some words. Loved ones, we're often tempted to lose heart when it comes to engaging faithfully in the work of God. It's easy to lose heart. It's easy to think, wow, I just can't. I don't have time. Let's somebody else. Nehemiah and the people of God had to deal with the temptation of discouragement from the enemy. The enemy just kept coming back, kept coming back, and all they were doing was slinging insults. They started off with intimidation. Do you see there in the first part of the chapter? Here comes Sam Ballad. He's angry. He's greatly enraged. He comes jeering, and he's in the presence of his brothers, and he has an army with him. He doesn't really want to take on Persia. So he's just trying to just poke at the bear and get them to start to start the attack. So they just come with intimidation. He just wants the people to be afraid. (gasps) You hear what he's saying? And look, he's got all his brothers and, and the Samaritan army is there. And look at us, we're just builders over here. We're no match for them. And then when that doesn't work, he throws out the insults. He jeered and taunted Nehemiah and the Israelites as they embarked on this restoration project. He just wanted to sidetrack them. As long as you're listening to me jabber over here at you, the wall isn't being built. As long as I can just stir up contention and strife and discord, you're not doing the work of God. So that's what he's out. That's what he's doing. He doesn't really want to fight. He doesn't really want to lose his life or the life of any of his brothers or of the Samaritan army. He just wants them to stop building the walls of the city. He's calling them names. What are these feeble Jews doing? Uh, Answer, we're building a wall. We're rebuilding it in some places. Some places we're building it from the ground up because it was burned out and it's laying in dust. Will they restore it for themselves?" he says. There's nobody with them. They can do this. Answer. Yeah. Sure will. It's going to happen. He mocked their religion. Will they sacrifice again here? Yes. He belittled their efforts. Are they going to finish up in one day. You're going to finish this in one day? Pretty much, practically speaking, uh-huh. He focused upon the size of the project and the near impossibility of completing this endeavor. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Uh, Yeah, that's the plan. He's looking at the condition that's been laying there since 586 BC. Since Nebuchadnezzar came, the Babylonian army and they leveled it all it's been laying there. Now it's 445, be- 140 years, loved ones. That's, that's longer than how's your memory of World War I? Just let this sink in. That somebody comes to a broken down, disheveled city that was laid waste before World War I, and you're there and you're signing people up to rebuild the city. Now are you hearing all of these insults? Like, come on, what's gonna happen here? Are you kidding me? You're gonna rebuild it out of burned out dust? Yeah. Because Isaiah 40, there's a prophecy and coming in this... City is Messiah, a savior king. So yes, upon the authority of scripture, the work of God will be done. And yes, we will be worshiping. The Lord will accomplish this. All he's trying to do is say, this is no way. This is no hope. You losers can't do this. Now, a modern day application, this congregation gonna build a church? This congregation cares about the community and the region and the world? Yes. You think you can do this on your own? No. Our God will fight for us. And at the end of the day, who gets the glory and the honor? Not not Nehemiah. Nehemiah's God. At the end of the day, who receives the honor and the glory of any faithfulness in Richard's life or in Dr. Harold Brown's life? God, the lamb. May the lamb receive the full reward of his suffering. The two individuals said, saying goodbye to their family as they sold themselves into slavery to go share the gospel with African slaves on an island. That's what they shouted over the bow of the boat. They sold themselves into slavery to go reach people with the gospel. Who receives the glory? God does. Then you got Tobiah. Now I'm not sure what to make of Toby. He really doesn't add anything here. I, I, I read it in a mocking tone because I think that's the level of his contribution to the jeering. You know, yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. I kind of think that Sandballot was like, give me the microphone back. Go, go to the back of the line. Come on, Toby. Thank you so much for that discouragement, distractions. The enemy tries to bring distractions. They tried to bring about confusion and dysfunction among the Jews and the work of God that was taking place there in Jerusalem. So now they're planning sneak attacks. It didn't work. They didn't stop building with all of our threats, with all of our mockery, with all of our jeering, with all of our insults. So let's just get them thinking about other things. Let's get them worried about us coming in. They might come from there. They might come from over there. Oh, the enemy, oh, they're coming at. No, just distractions. Now think about this, loved ones. You don't face any distractions that keep you from worshiping on Sundays, do you, the Lord's Day? Anything distract you from spending time on a regular basis in the presence of the Lord? Just seeking him? Maybe at the beginning of your day to set him in this rightful place so that you can meditate on his word. I face distractions all the time. They're just coming at it. Lord, help us to be more like Nehemiah. He's like, no, we're staying at it. And when that doesn't work, here comes the enemy bringing doubt. Look how big this project is. You can't do this. You don't know enough. Oh, don't, don't share the gospel with someone. You don't have your master's degree in gospel sharing yet. You don't have 66 books memorized. You can't even say the books in order. So just wait until you know more, until you know more. What, to get the fattest head and you just fall over because you can't hold it up? How does that minister to anybody? How... Who ministered to you and brought you to faith in Christ? Somebody that just had every theological answer and, and it just had this winsome speech about them that they could say, God, and all that, that's how you came to faith in Christ? Or was this somebody that loved Jesus and they loved you enough to tell you you're a sinner, you're on the road to hell, but you don't have to spend eternity separated from a holy, righteous, and sovereign God because in his love, grace, and mercy, he became a man and Jesus was born of a virgin and he lived a life that you can never live and he went to a cross and they didn't kill him. He laid down his life and they buried him. And three days later, he kicked the grave in the teeth. He won over death and hell and Satan. And because he lives, everyone who puts their trust in him alone, they will have life that never ends. Do you know him? Do you believe in the gospel? It's the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that changes us. It's not how much that person knows. We all have a lot to learn. Good grief. I think about the near baby you hired in this church all those years ago. I look at the pictures. I'm looking through all these pictures from the past, working outside. I'm like, who's that kid? Oh, that's me. Good grief. Had a lot to learn. Do you know what I appreciate about Richard? He was honest with me. He told me some difficult things every now and then. Things that, uh, can friends say that to friends? You say that to your pastor, if you love him. And then you stay in life right there with him. Thank you, God, for that. Faithfulness. Oh, you can't do it. As Soon as that starts going through an organization, we can't do it. Maybe some of you are watching basketball. You could see it happen in the eyes of the team when they thought they were, should be able and they were ranked way up there and they're playing the, the little nobody team who just thinks, what do we have to lose? And suddenly you see it happen, like, we can't do this. this, this is, we're losing this. This isn't good. I, I, I can't do anything. And they begin to be defeated and they begin to sit on the side and they begin to sulk. Nehemiah's got to lead through this. Some people panic. Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed. And the people begin to follow Nehemiah's example. And they begin to pray. Well, when that doesn't work, the enemy says, let's try one more tactic, defeat. You might even say death. We'll kill you. We'll take you out. And then who's going to build your little wall? Nehemiah. He knows what to do. That word, the, the phrase there 10 times, it emphasizes the, the constant state of panic and fear that's out in the outlying areas. The, the, the Jews in the countryside in Judah and they're afraid and we're close to the enemy and, and we're living right next to them and they can come in on us and, and they keep coming. 10 times, you know, it's like a kid that keeps coming in like, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. I, come on, it's four in the morning now. When do they fall asleep? About seven. No, get up. I was awake all night with you, you little rascal. Now you're going to be awake, right? Here they come. Nehemiah. Oh, what if they come? Oh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, come on now. How are we going to get this project done? How are you going to use this band of misfits? Oh, the project's too big, Nehemiah. The enemy is too powerful, Nehemiah. The laborers, you just have weak laborers. There's too few of laborers. And is saying, who's with me? Who's gonna go all in on the project of rebuilding this city? The enemy says, you can't do it. The enemy says, all right, just do it later. Just get to it later. Procrastinate. You're gonna die if you do this. How will the people of God respond? Doesn't it sound like Jesus and his disciples? Another band of misfits? Scared when Jesus was on earth. And that was his plan to change the world. When he ascended, and sent his spirit, and filled them, and changed them, and they all looked looked death in the face, and many of them were martyred. And they said, "I, "I will not turn back from him. He's God. The provident hand of God will uphold His people through our difficulty, and in our desperation. In our desperation." We fight, loved ones. In our times of desperation, we fight as we seek the Lord. So together, this is what we do. We seek the Lord. We encourage one another. Seek the Lord. Put God first. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He had come this far by faith. He wasn't turning back now. He's not going to quit now. So he leads out in corporate prayer now. Earlier, we saw in chapter one, he prayed when he heard the bad news and that was his prayer. And then he comes before the king in chapter two and and the king says, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? And what do you need? How long are you gonna be gone? Then I prayed to the Lord, that that rocket prayer. He just shoots it up, Lord, help me. And the Lord heard that prayer. Now he's praying and he's praying that we would stay on mission. And all he does, I love this. In, verse four, in verses four and five, what he does is he takes all of those taunts, all of those jeers, all of those threats, and he says, Lord, you hear what they're saying about you? Hey, Lord, you have a problem down here. Do you hear what they're saying about you and your work and your workers? Go ahead, Lord, have at it. This is an imprecatory prayer. It's praying down curses. It's inviting the justice of God to weigh in on a situation and declare his righteousness, his goodness, and his faithfulness. And so Nehemiah is simply, you know, Matrix, like, there you go, Lord, that one's at you. Whoa, that's at you, Lord. They're saying this. He's saying, Lord, this is your fight. Because I can't do this on my own. And human to human, we, we, we're no hopers. But humans, as powerful as you may be, versus the king of creation, you got no chance. And we're with him and, and we're his. We're his servants. Remember he said that? We're his servants. Uh, they're messing with your servants, Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Is this loving for him to pray what he's praying? similar to psalm 2 and psalm 5 didn't jesus say you know love your enemy is this loving your enemy this is loving the god over all enemies saying recognizing they're going against you here's a quote from uh, james hamilton junior it's not loving to want someone to continue in their evil and avoid god's justice it is loving to desire that God would deliver someone from his or her evil by means of the revelation of his justice against them. Loved ones, if someone that we love is living a life of sin, it is not loving to say nothing and let them carry on in a life against God and say nothing because you're more afraid of them and keeping your relationship than you fear the God of heaven and understand they're not worshiping this God. They are not right with this God. They are not ready to stand before this God. Do you believe they will stand before God one? Do you believe that you will stand before God one day? It is loving to seek out and to cry out for the justice of God. So they all begin to cry out in prayer, to respond to these threats in this way. I don't think they wrote it here, but this is the song. This is how we fight our battles. Jehoshaphat was up against similar enemies here, the Moabites and the Ammonites, some of the Munites in 2 Chronicles 20. It says in 2 Chronicles 20, a great multitude was coming against Jerusalem and they were coming from Edom. So what did they do? Jehoshaphat led them to fast and to pray. And the word of the Lord that came, this is what the Lord foretold, because they sought the Lord. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15, and he said, "'Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, "'and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you.'" Now, now you're curious right now, right? a great army is coming against you and you have a word from God, the God of heaven, what's he gonna say? You're on your own? Too bad, so sad. I'm busy. Please leave a message. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, show up. Don't miss this one. Don't DVR this. Get there. Go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeru. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. You can read the rest of the account in 2 Chronicles 20. Hezekiah, another king, 2 Kings 18 and 19, those two chapters. Sennacherib, the Assyrian. Okay, so you understand, we got... Earlier on, here's the Assyrian army and they took out the northern tribes, the 10 tribes. Now they're coming against Jerusalem. He's defeated nation after nation after nation. He's advancing in the bracket and nobody's standing in his way. 2 Kings 19 and verse five, when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, because Hezekiah led his people to seek the Lord, to fast and to pray, Here's the word, say to your master, verse six, 2 Kings 19, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And what happened that night? One angel slew 185,000 Assyrians. In the account of Jehoshaphat, all those enemies, they woke up and they fought each other and it was self-destruct and Israel just watched and beheld what God was doing on their behalf. Okay, all of this is in Israel's history. It's in Judah's history. It's in Jerusalem's history. So Nehemiah is not stepping out on this limb of unknown. He's saying, I remember what was written for us in the past and I have hope right now because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever forever so listen to me our god will fight for us and he led the people to seek the lord and the people followed in seeking the lord we need to stand our ground seek the lord in our desperation and stand our ground so the people followed They followed Nehemiah. They refused to back down. I don't know if they were singing the song, No, I won't back down. Come on, everybody with me. No, we won't. I don't know what they were singing, but that's what they did. They wouldn't back down. Like, no, we're not going anywhere. The governor in Ezra's day, oh, stop. And they sent the delegation back to headquarters and then the and Nehemiah's like, I've made this trip. It's two months. So by my calculations, if they hurry it up and they go a month and a half and they make it back in a month and a half and the king says, change my mind, stop it all, it's gonna be done when they get back. We're not stopping this time, boys. This is a leader. He knows where he's going. He's like, double time, pick it up. We're gonna get this done. And that leads us to serve with all our hearts. This is in verse 6, the very threat that could have separated the people caused great division and dissension. Actually, it's like Romans 8.28 is true, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, for those who are the called according to his purpose. And the very thing that the enemy was trying to scare them and frighten them and scatter them, all they did was fall in, band together. And Nehemiah is the leader. He's right there. He's like, "Hey, the alarm systems with me. I'm on patrol. I'm watching over the city. You hear the you hear the alarm. It's because I saw the enemy coming and I said blow the horn." He's not up in the office or in a basement. He's out on the he's out on the wall. He's out there. He's watching. That's a leader. so we built the wall. Why? Look at at verse six. This tells us about Nehemiah. So we, not I, built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, for I led the people in such a wonderful, mighty, powerful way. Is that what it says? No, that's a sorry dog leader that has to have everybody praise you, leader, leader, praise you, praise you. Don't say anything to contradict me. No, that's only the Lord. You hear what Nehemiah is doing again? For the people. Don't you love it when you see a really, really good coach and they say, man, you're a great coach. And he says, I just, I just, I'm so thankful for this team. Man, these guys, these ladies, they just band together. They and they don't take a lap for themselves. And you're like, I admire that. There's something admirable in that. There's Nehemiah. Way to go, Nehemiah. Actually, the people had a mind to work. God did that in them. Oh, may we be more like Nehemiah. I want to be more like Nehemiah. Paul writes in Ephesians 4. And he talks about striving for, for unity. Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with, all, with patience. Listen to you. guys are all, di- you're on different sides and different opinions and, and you see things different sometimes politically or sometimes, you know, about the virus or masks or whatever it might be. Hey, will you bear with one another in love? eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Will you strive for peace? Will you stop fighting each other and fight for peace? And all God's people said, "Amen." amen. Let everybody else fight and they will. Let the people of God strive for unity, knowing that the provident hand of God, he'll uphold us through our difficulty, in our desperation and to our deliverance. Oh, the spirit is the one who enables us. He will deliver us to our deliverance. And we see the Lord deliver his people here in Nehemiah chapter four. The spirit of God will help you and will help me loved ones if we belong to Christ to place all of our confidence in the Lord. Place all of our confidence in the Lord. In verse 14, Nehemiah, he sees it all going on. And I looked. He took it all in and arose. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Put all your confidence in the Lord. God is sovereign. Put no confidence in the flesh. Hezekiah's speech in 2 Chronicles 32. He said, With him, the enemy, this powerful king, is the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hope in the Lord. Nehemiah is just saying, You've heard this one before. Put your hope in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. So place all our confidence in the Lord. The Spirit will help us do that and then plan our investment into God's work. Okay, put my confidence in the Lord. Put my hope in the Lord and then, and then do something. Plan out, what am I gonna do? This is human responsibility. God is sovereign and we have a responsibility. And he says this, and fight, fight for your brother's Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, for your wives, and protect property, your homes. Protect life and protect property. Nehemiah planned out everything carefully, how every aspect of the mission would be carried out Where is everybody going to serve? How are we fully engaged? Verse 14, he looks, he rises up, he says something, he's a leader. Verse 15, hey, here's what happened God frustrated their plan. They had a plan to come against us, but God frustrated their plan. Verse 15, so we all return to the wall. We're back on mission, we're back on the project. Verse 16, Nehemiah's servants, they're all in. Then we have verse 16 again, the leaders are all in. Verse 17, this is, this is difficult work, as if it's not difficult enough to do a project that in one hand, you got the trowel, and in the other hand, you have a weapon. Some weapon of self-defense. You see the biblical, the biblical theology laid out for the right to bear arms? Because you don't put, don't put your trust in anybody elected this is this is it. You have a responsibility fathers to protect your families. You have a responsibility as a citizen to protect freedom. It it honors the Lord. And where there is strength what has been missing so far in this chapter there's not been any conflict really yet. There's been no bloodshed because Nehemiah understands lead from a position of strength, not from asking permission. Ezra's day, they tried it. Didn't work. Got shut down. Nehemiah is the leader and he says, we need the Lord. The Lord will fight for us. And that means he's gonna fight through you if he needs to. If he, and so put the sword, get the weapon and get to work. And some of you stand on guard, and some of you work, and all night there's a guard. So put yourself in the position of the enemy. They're looking over, and they're like, uh, no, now's not a good time. Uh, how about now? Nope, nope, they're still armed. Uh, what about now? Nope, the fence is, uh, they got electricity on that dude now. Not really, I'm just adding that. Just seeing if you're listening. Okay, right, but they're looking the situation over, and at no point is they're just like, come on in, the wall is down. Not anymore, Nehemiah's up. Nehemiah's here. And the glory of God is what he's fighting for. And it plays out. Swords are strapped on in verse 18. Nehemiah's on guard. He's got the personal alarm next to him. Verse 20, whenever the alarm sounds, he's got the plan. Wherever you hear that trumpet, everybody, get there. Show up. We're not leaving anybody out to dry. No man left behind. We'll be there. So labor, and we've got your back. You hear this strength here? Let her see. We'll protect God's work and God's workers. This is how God delivers. There's details throughout this entire chapter that demonstrate the connection between God's workers and God's work. They're inseparable. That God takes the attacks on his work, and God takes the attacks on his workers personally. Do you remember Saul of Tarsus? Chasing down and throwing believers into prison. And when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, it'll come up on the screen, but Saul, still breathing threats, And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, in case you missed it the first time, whom you are persecuting. When you mess with my people, you are messing with me. That's how closely Jesus identifies to us. And think about this, let this truth sink in. And he knows everything about you and me. He doesn't love you because you're you're great. He doesn't love me because I'm just, you know, I just don't do anything wrong. Huh. He loves me despite all of my faults and failures. His love overwhelms and his love is changing me. And because of his love, not because of the law, the law just points out my flaws and my faults. His love is the one that draws me up and out of that into the light to bring all of my sin and shame to him and he deals with it. And often it happens in the context of relationships, fellowship, community, where we get honest before the Lord and with one another. And this is all going somewhere. And we see in this, in this chapter, God's provident hand. Do you see the hand of the Father? Did you see Ethan holding on to little Ellie Mae today? She was doing everything she could to slide down and get right back in there. I know she wanted right back in there again. Like, I will right, well, get inside of that. It just looks fun to be in there. You gotta hang on to all those pictures like that, you know. Later on, weddings, graduations, like there you are. That was you, stuck. Fire department's right here. We're ready to go. (laughs) It's for our devotion, loved ones. It's for our devotion. This is where it's all. You see this in Nehemiah. You see this in all the people. They're resolved. There's a resolution here. They're resolute in the work of God. And what does that require? That we surrender all. That we surrender all, that's what we're seeing unfold in this chapter. They laid it all on the line for the mission. That Nehemiah led the people to rally around for the glory of God and the people followed. The people followed. The work of God would have never been accomplished if it was just Nehemiah out there on his own. He led the people and the people followed wholeheartedly. That's a word, the people had a mind to work. It's, it's the heart. It's their whole being. It's mind, heart, soul, strength, everything. We are all in. Surrender all to the Lord. And lastly, oh, may God help us to stay the course. You see what Nehemiah is doing? Can you imagine what that room smelled like wherever he was sleeping with all them guys? Nearly two months, no showers, no clothes off, Whoo, working hard, walking the city, no deodorant yet, except the all natural, right? <laughs> you were right. Stay the course. Stay the course. There's a, there's a work to be done. This leader was all in in the slogan of the Marines, Semper Fi. And they're all in. That's how the battle is won. Oh, the provident hand of our God, loved ones will uphold you if you're his child. He will uphold you by his right hand through every, every moment of difficulty that you will face in life, and we all face difficulty. In your times of desperation, and you turn to the Lord, he is right there. And he's the only one that can deliver you. Working more hours will not deliver you. More entertainment will not deliver you. A career in athletics will not deliver you. Having the picture-perfect family will not deliver you. He is the only one that can deliver you and me. And when he delivers you, do you know what the automatic response is? Devotion. I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. Do you realize that's what the Lord Jesus Christ does in salvation? That when you either did or perhaps you're here today or you're watching online and you realize uh, the difficulty is me and it's my sin problem and religion won't fix it. And in desperation, you turn and you cry out to the Lord, have mercy on me and save me. And you know what he will do through the blood shed on the cross? He will deliver you in your desperation and your life will be a living sacrifice, Romans 12 says. Live to the sweet aroma, the fragrance, even including suffering for the glory of God. And you will be a display of look what I do. Look how I change people. That's what God does. And I wanna give to you an example. Last week, I gave you a couple guys. Uh, William Borden, okay? Anybody familiar with Borden Milk? Okay, This kid was an heir to a fortune in Chicago. In high school, he came to know Christ. He wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. No reserves. And he felt the call of God in his life after he traveled the world. His, his 16th, if you're looking for ideas, you know, we got Sophie graduating. Ideas, travel the world, son. There you go. See the world. And he did. He traveled Europe. He traveled the world. He came back not impressed by how great the world is, but how deep the need was for Christ. And that's what he wrote in his Bible. No reserves. Somebody told him, you're gonna throw your life away as a missionary. And so he wrote, to follow that up on his way to Yale, he wrote up these lines, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. He wrote that in his journal. Say no to self and say yes to Jesus every time. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. So then he graduated from Yale, turned down multiple, multiple grand offers of career. And he felt the calling and he wrote down two more words in his Bible and he said, No retreats. No retreats. He went to Egypt. He needed to learn Arabic because he was going to China and he was going to minister to Chinese Muslims. He gets to Egypt, spinal meningitis. He added two more words in the back of his Bible. No regrets. He died at twenty five. Boy, wonder if Richard's met him yet. Wonder if my preacher from Kentucky's met him no regrets, no regrets, he's faithful, he's faithful, and he is, he's good in all situations. Oh, may God help us to live with no reserves, no retreats, just like Nehemiah, and no regrets. Will you stand with me this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I cannot even explain the comfort and the strength that comes through your word. And as your spirit takes these words off the page and you impress them to our hearts, God, you change us. You've changed me may you receive the glory from our lives. May you, Lord, convict those who are here without Christ and may they admit their sin and may they trust in Jesus and come to him for salvation today, Lord. For those of us who belong to you, Father, use us as faithful servants of God. For every moment of our lives, may we live to the glory of Jesus. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Our God will fight for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name.